This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 338 of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is sponsored by Advanced Compliance Solutions, your one-stop shop for all compliance-related services. I'm pleased to announce a new service offering, the Compliance Alliance, which provides you and your sales team an in-depth and insight into the recently released Department of Justice prescription to operationalize your compliance program, sponsorship of my one-month Do a Better Compliance Program podcast series, and finally, training with your sales team to fine-tune your message for every chief compliance officer. For more information, please contact me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Today, I have with me Stephen Durham. Stephen is a partner at Labaton and Sushro in Washington, D.C. This uh, is a firm with an incredibly vibrant whistleblower practice at the SEC. Stephen uh, has joined the firm, and we talk about the whistleblower practice at the firm, Stephen's role, how it was created by, created by Jordan Thomas and his former role at the SEC. We talk about the SEC whistleblower some of the incredible numbers that have uh, come out even this year around whistleblower uh, remedies and rewards. We discuss the firm's process for the evaluation of cases, how long it takes, what he requires, what he prefers in terms of the documentation. <clears throat> he, uh, we have a very interesting discussion on how the SEC whistleblower office facilitates the SEC's mission to protect investors and how firms like Labaton assist the SEC in that regard. We also discuss how whistleblowing benefits society and corporate America going forward. Finally, we end up with some of Stephen's thoughts about where the SEC whistleblower program is going under the Trump administration. It's a fascinating episode. It comes in at just around 20 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again, back for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Today, you are in for a real treat is I have Stephen Durham. Stephen is a partner at Labaton and Sushiro. I hope I got that right. Uh, a, um, uh, a law firm, and he has a specialty practice in uh, whistleblowers. Stephen came from the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office and then went through the wars at Weatherford, and now he has joined Labaton. So, Stephen, with that somewhat long-winded introduction, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to visit with me today. Good morning, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Stephen, I was wondering if you might be able to describe the whistleblower practice at Leviton, and uh, what is your role in that? You bet. Be happy to. Uh, I joined Labaton Susharo last month, and uh, I joined from, uh, I worked at uh, Weatherford International uh, in the uh, uh, compliance uh, group there. So, Labaton Susharo has uh, a whistleblower representation practice. And uh, it was started by Jordan Thomas in 2011. And uh, Jordan was one of the principal architects of whistleblower rules uh, that were written when he was at the SEC. Uh, And he saw the future, and he uh, joined Labaton Susharo uh, and developed practice. And now uh, I've joined, along with two other partners, 
uh, who are former SEC people who have a great deal of experience. A very exciting time to be in the practice. Uh, the practice, uh, the SEC whistleblower program is just, uh, I think, now gaining its stride and getting really up and running, uh, much better known. Uh, and as I said, uh, it's a very exciting time to represent clients here. So we uh, last September, I believe, was the uh, the month that the uh, whistleblower SEC whistleblower program crashed through the one hundred million dollar amount uh, or level amount of um, uh, uh, monies paid to bounties paid to whistleblowers. So I certainly agree with you that it is a very exciting time to be in it. Um, I was wondering if you could, uh, for my listeners who might not be aware of the SEC whistleblower process, describe that process and how you would help a client work through or walk through that process. So what happens is at the SEC, there's a series of rules uh, that determine whether a whistleblower is eligible uh, for uh, a bounty. And so information comes in and then we develop relationships with clients, so we're very careful about uh, the matters that we take in, so we vet our matters very carefully. Uh, so we talk to clients, and uh, we get as much information as we can, and we have a team. Uh, so we have a team of people, uh, not just the partners who work in the group, but we also have professionals, a former FBI people, accountants, uh, a former controller, uh, and we're very careful about the way we look at matters to make sure that uh, they are good matters, uh, that they're matters that uh, alleged securities violate, uh, and that uh, they're matters that uh, ultimately, uh, we believe, will pay uh, uh, the appropriate bounty to the whistleblower. So we take that information in, and then we put a case together. Uh, we put the case together for the SEC, and we submit uh, through uh, the SEC's uh, site uh, a TCR form. And then uh, we make sure that we put as much detail in that uh, submission as we can to assist the SEC in doing its work uh, and to push the case as far down the road as we can. Of course, there are no promises or guarantees. No one has a crystal ball. Uh, but we, uh, our goal is for the SEC to uh, take the matter, uh, to use its authority and, and its uh, power uh, to make a, 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 out a securities violation. And then at the end of that process, and this process takes a several years typically, but at the end of the process, Tom, uh, we'll come back and we'll make a petition in the form of a whistleblower uh, application form. Uh, we'll make a petition for an award. Uh, and uh, a whistleblower who's successful uh, is entitled to between 10 and 30% of the total enforcement action. And um, we'll make an argument as to why our client uh, is entitled to 30% uh, of the enforcement uh, action. Stephen, you mentioned that uh, not only this is an exciting time to have this type of practice, but also that you really felt like the SEC whistleblower office was really hitting its stride. Could you explain how um, the whistleblower office and indeed the whistleblower program, whistleblower program facilitates the SEC's mission to protect investors and how firms like yourself uh, or Labaton, rather, can assist the SEC in that regard? Yes, absolutely. So the program was devised, uh, and it was created out of Dodd-Frank, which was the, the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform uh, and Consumer Financial Protection Act in 2010. And the, the goal was, of course, Dodd-Frank was uh, uh, created out of uh, the financial crisis and scandals like Madoff. Uh, and other financial uh, scandals that uh, occurred 
uh, on Wall Street and elsewhere. So the goal of the program was to empower uh, individuals uh, so that individuals who had important information uh, could come forward, that they could feel comfortable in coming forward, that they could, if they so they could report anonymously, uh, and they could share information that is very valuable to the SEC in carrying out its important work. Um, so, you know, the program is trying to create an atmosphere um, where people feel comfortable. Uh, they don't, there's a very strong anti-retaliation provision built into the uh, whistleblower program uh, and into the legislation. Uh, and that has been used as standalone action, uh, even without an enforcement uh, by the SEC. Um, so, you know, the goal has been to empower people. The goal has been to uh, provide the SEC with access to important information that it would not otherwise have or have very late in the game uh, after catastrophic uh, uh, consequences. Uh, and it has worked. Uh, it has been extremely successful. And, of course, the program also financially incentivizes people uh, because a lot of times, uh, you know, we ask people, people stick their neck out. Uh, literally and figuratively, in the sense of uh, they uh, stand up, they give information, and uh, because they give information, uh, they may jeopardize their career, their reputation. Uh, so the program financially incentivizes people uh, to stand up and do the right thing, and it has been tremendously successful. Uh, I think, as you mentioned, we, there have been 44 successful uh, claims that have resulted in over $150 million in whistleblower payouts. Uh, but as I said, the program is just really now starting to hit its stride. And the reason is because these cases take some time to get through the system. Uh, they usually take between four or five years to get uh, from soup to nuts. So now we're really starting to hit some uh, uh, some larger awards. And I expect within the next uh, 12 months, uh, you'll see some of the largest awards uh, in the history of the program itself. Uh, but there are a number of cases that are in the pipeline. Uh, there are a number of clients that we represent uh, whose matters are in the pipeline. Uh, and, of course, as the program becomes more more well-known uh, and as we educate more, uh, more people, we believe, will come forward uh, and do the right thing. So you said a couple of things in there I'd like to follow up on, Stephen. The first one was the uh, $150 million in bounties paid. Uh, my figure of $100 million was from last September. So... In the first five years, it took or it took five years to get to 100 million, and in I guess eight or nine months, uh, we've gotten another 50 million. So you're absolutely right; this program has really taken off. Uh, the other thing is that uh, you mentioned, and I'd really like to explore how your your law firm really works to vet the cases, so that uh, when if you present them to the commission, you at least internally or the firm has internally feels like there's a good chance that uh, the commission would look at it and it would benefit the commission to move forward. So can you, you talked about some of the talent and um, experts you have on, how, how would how would you think through or work through a potential claim that's presented to you or the firm? Uh, we go through a process and so we have information, Tom, that comes in from all kinds of different sources. A lot of our clients are corporate executives who are in a position to see certain things. And maybe they don't have the whole picture, but they have very important parts of it. We have some of our clients who are outside of the system entirely, uh, who are uh, analysts or they look at uh, 10Ks or they look at other reports and they see things that just don't quite add up. 
or and they look at it and they're able to kind of put some of the pieces together. What we do, and we encourage people uh, when we talk to, to people, we try to get as much information as we can. And some of that information is going to come from clients themselves. In fact, uh, a great deal of it oftentimes comes directly from the client uh, because they're in a position to see things. They're in a position to hear things. Uh, they may have access to documents, uh, legal access. We, we don't ask clients to do things that are illegal, but they may have access legally to uh, email or documents as part of what they do. Uh, so we're always looking at, for as much corroboration as we can. But as far as, as you know, what you reference is, we do have a team. So uh, I'll give you, a, uh, you know, an example here. We, we have four partners uh, in our group now. Um, so collectively, we have over 60 years of SEC experience uh, in the enforcement uh, division, including uh, my partner, Tim Warren, who was in uh, the Chicago SEC office uh, as acting regional director. Uh, and my partner, Bob Warren, uh, who, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Bob Wilson, who was uh, in the SEC uh, in, in Washington in various management positions. Of course, we have Jordan, who's the chair of the practice and, and who wrote the rules. But so we have a lot of experience, but behind that experience, and then I spent 20 years myself at the Department of Justice. So, but behind that experience, we also have a team. Uh, that's fully dedicated to serving client interests. And on the team, we have former uh, ex, uh, former FBI uh, agents uh, who are financial fraud investigators. Uh, we have uh, a former controller of a company. Uh, we also have uh, a team of accountants. And so we put a lot of time and effort into the evaluation of the case to make sure as much as we can, we don't have a crystal ball, obviously, but as much as we can to make sure that uh, that it alleges a securities violation, uh, that it's a serious securities violation, uh, that it's provable, that it's within the statute of limitations. So we go down the list and make sure that we can write it up and that we can provide information that's, uh, that's necessary. Um, so because it's a team effort, um, clients don't pay any more for the team than they would for any one individual on the team. Uh, we want to make sure that... Uh, uh, you know, the SEC is getting absolutely the best, most fully developed information that they can get. So when they get it, uh, they can use their resources, uh, which are limited. They can use their resources uh, in the most efficient manner and identify security violation and hold people accountable. And that really brings me uh, to another point, uh, Stephen, which is that I really see uh, not only the whistleblower office, but frankly, the activities of you and your law firm as as benefiting not only SEC, but American securities law going forward, because through this rigorous vetting process, you're presenting uh, cases to the SEC that at least the law firm feels like could potentially represent a securities law violation. And then, of course, you're letting the SEC do their job as regulators and enforcers going forward. Do you see that as, as really part of, of a continuum, or, uh, a philosophical continuum that I see, or is it something different? No, I think it is, uh, Tom. I, I think that, uh, especially in the wake of, you know, back in the early 2000s, I mean, this has been going on for quite some time, but, you, you know, in the early 2000s, you had, uh, you know, Enron and, you know, then you had Sarbanes-Oxley, and then, uh, you know, you have matters like Madoff and, and, and the financial collapse or meltdown in 2008. Then you have 
Dodd-Frank. Um, but I think the broader discussion here is, is trying to, you know, make sure that everybody is, is on a level playing field. You know, when investors go out and invest money or when companies try to compete, uh, they want to have some confidence that they're competing on a level playing field. Uh, and you may not win the game. You may not win every game you play. And of course, that's, that's part of the cost of, of playing the game itself. But you want to make sure that, 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 that it's fair. And you want to make sure the officials are empowered. Uh, the regulators are empowered. And you want to make sure that people who, uh, you know, have the courage to say, to, you know, let's see something. And these are our clients. This is what our clients uh, come to. They think, well, this is wrong. I mean, this is just not right. Uh, this is not fair. It's not proper. There are people being hurt by it. There are investors being hurt by it. There are competitors being hurt by it. Uh, and I need to do something about it. So I think part of the broader discussion that you've identified is one in which uh, there is a recognition uh, that uh, people can and should speak up. And those people should not be thrown under the bus or retaliated against or somehow discouraged or ostracized uh, or blackballed, that they should be empowered uh, and that they should be rewarded, frankly, at the end of the process uh, if they do the right thing and it's valuable information. Uh, and this is the whole impetus behind uh, the Office of the Whistleblower which uh, has been extremely successful. Uh, it's received bipartisan support. Uh, and I do expect uh, that going forward, uh, it'll continue to be uh, a very successful program. And so that really leads me into uh, a question I'm almost hesitant to ask, but I have to ask anyway, which is, do you see anything changing under uh, the Trump administration for the whistleblower office, either from the executive or legislative changes? Let me just reference my own experience as a federal prosecutor. And I was uh, at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. for 20 years. Uh, I was chief of the fraud and public corruption section there for a period. Um, you know, so I was there 20 years and administrations changed. Uh, I started when President uh, George H.W. Bush uh, was president. And I left uh, when President Obama uh, was in office. And so I saw a number of different administration changes. And the core work of the regulators, whether it's the Justice Department or the SEC or whoever, the core work doesn't change because uh, it's not really an issue of, you know, is it a Democratic issue or is it a Republican issue? It's a moral issue. Uh, it's a legal issue. Uh, it's an issue of right and wrong. So to answer your question, um, I really don't see vast changes. Now, you know, of course, there's fine tuning that goes on around the edges. That's true with every program. You know, there's tweaking and adaptation, uh, and I think you'll see that. But as far as sea changes to the program, I, I think it's highly unlikely. And I say that because, uh, you know, I look at uh, the people uh, that have been nominated uh, in key positions at the commission. Uh, Chairman Clayton, who's uh, obviously very qualified uh, and extremely capable, uh, and the people that uh, have been nominated uh, and, and placed uh, in the enforcement uh, division. Uh, Steve Pakin and uh, Stephanie uh, Pakin are, are very experienced people, uh, uh, very well-versed, uh, and very committed uh, to protecting investor rights and keeping the marketplace safe uh, and fair. So uh, the short answer, uh, Mae Long, is uh, I, I do not see large changes. So I'd like to ask to, to draw upon your experience from uh, your DOJ days. 
And really, I was wondering if you could tell the audience what it means for a prosecutor or back when you were with the DOJ or a regulator uh, to have someone, uh, an insider as such as a whistleblower. Uh, what does that uh, extra does that provide to a prosecutor to allow you to do your job? Uh, the short answer really is is the quality of the information that somebody's providing. And many times, you know, as a prosecutor, you know, we would look for the best, most reliable evidence possible. And that evidence is going to come from people who typically are on the inside. Um, you know, if I'm reading about it in the newspaper, you know, three days after the fact, or, you know, if I've heard it from somebody as I'm walking down the street, well, it's not that it's useless information because sometimes it leads to things, but it's the insiders, uh, the people who are there, the people who actually see things and know things. So as a prosecutor, you know, you know, like a good reporter, you, you go to the source. I mean, let's go to the source. And the source, a lot of times, uh, were people who were on the inside. Sometimes people who were on the inside uh, were compromised in the sense that uh, they were participants themselves. And this is an ongoing discussion, and this is probably one of the fine-tuning areas of the program. So what do you do about somebody who may have committed crimes themselves? Well, they, they're in a position to know things because they participated. Uh, now, of course, in the office uh, of the whistleblower, the rules are quite clear. If you're convicted of an offense, uh, you are not eligible for an award. And nor should you really be. Um, but uh, the, there's a, a debate that centers around, well, what if you're a participant and you're not convicted and you're kind of on the edges? Should you be eligible for an award there? And that's a discussion that I think is going to continue to occur uh, as we go down the road. But uh, as a prosecutor, uh, you know, you're always looking for somebody uh, who had the best information. Stephen, one of the things that we've seen in uh, some whistleblower awards is anonymous whistleblowers. And I think that uh, the conclusion I would draw is that many, or at least some whistleblowers, really need or value anonymity. Can you speak to that a little bit and, and how the firm really can protect the, uh, the names and, and uh, other identifying indicia of a whistleblower or a potential whistleblower? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and that's an extremely important point. Because, you know, many times people are very, very reluctant to reveal their identity because they know uh, that if they do, even with the protections that exist, uh, you know, they could suffer damage. Uh, and sometimes it's extreme damage in that, you know, people can't work in their chosen business again. I mean, think about that for a moment. You know, you've chosen this particular profession. Uh, and then one day, because you had the courage to report something that you saw was wrong, uh, you no longer can work in that uh, business. So one thing the whistleblower program does, uh, and these rules were extremely well thought out when Jordan uh, and his colleagues were drafting them, uh, is, is one important thing it does is it allows for anonymous reporting. Uh, now, uh, for anonymous reporting, you have to be represented by a lawyer, uh, but it permits anonymous reporting, and that's important because as I said, people uh, can find themselves in extremely uh, difficult situations. We do tell our clients, though, there, there are situations where, uh, and this was true as a prosecutor uh, or as an in-house uh, 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 corporate uh, compliance person, we had an anonymous uh, reporting hotline, as most corporations do. But sometimes the information 
is so narrow uh, that it telegraphs the identity of the reporter because people think, well, that information could only come from this person or these two or three individuals. So we we're very careful in counseling our clients about, you know, before you embark on this, you know, these are the risks that are involved. These are the risks that are out there. And part of our job, part of our value added is to make sure that people understand what it is they're getting into. Because even though the, pro- the, the program permits uh, anonymous reporting, uh, and that's valued, um, you know, there are no absolute guarantees. And especially given some of the information that people have, people kind of piece things together. Now, that's not always true. Uh, we've had clients in the practice that uh, have given uh, anonymous uh, information. Uh, ultimately, the commission has to know who it is. The commission does. But the commission is very, very discreet. Uh, in their handling of information, as is the Department of Justice. Uh, but at some point, uh, people may be able to piece things together. But we have had clients, Tom, where, uh, you know, very critical information leading to very large enforcement action. And they've never, no one's ever figured out, well, this is the person that provided this information. Of course, if there's an award at the end of the process, you know, sometimes that award uh, is a significant award. And sometimes there are issues related to, uh, well, how am I going to uh, uh, alter uh, lifestyle choices uh, at the end of the process? Well, Stephen, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if uh, anyone listening to this podcast uh, wanted or needed to contact you um, via email or check out the firm's website, how would they do so? The best way to contact us, Tom, is, and we work as a team, and that's the great thing, and that's what attracted me, uh, among other things, to this practice, is we do everything as a team so our clients get the benefit uh, of our team, uh, whether it's the partners or whether it's uh, uh, the supporting uh, uh, people, the accountants, the uh, former FBI people, the controllers. Um, so the best way to contact us is through our website, uh, and that's at uh, SEC whistlebloweradvocate.com, uh, or they can just go to the uh, uh, labaton.com uh, website as well, and that'll direct to the uh, SEC Whistleblower Advocate uh, website. So I've been visiting today with Stephen Durham. He's a partner at Labaton and Sushiro uh, in the uh, firm's whistleblower practice. It's been a fascinating discussion of the SEC whistleblower office and, indeed, Stephen and the firm's whistleblower practice. Stephen, I really wanted to uh, thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate us as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the most senior podcast around in compliance. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, and I hope you will join me again for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.